3 triple Z 92.3 FM The following program is in English. Thank you. To life. You're tuned in to L'Chaim, to life, with your host, Morris Klein, who just happens to be my baby brother. Shalom Aleichem, welcome back to L'Chaim, to life, Jewish life and more. The first L'Chaim for our new year, 5782. Shana Tova, Umetaka, to all our Jewish community from Team L'Chaim. Executive producer George Benke, co-presenter Murray Frankel, content contributor Jeff Deacon, and yours truly, the little brother, Morris Klein. Speaking of little brother, I want to give a huge shout out to my big sister, Helen, who on this day, today, has arrived in Melbourne after 14 days in quarantine in Sydney, and after 52 years of being a US citizen in New York and Florida, is back permanently down under. Gewalt Samana Laban. No, just gagging. Welcome back, sis. I love you dearly. Shana tova to you. We have lots of fun years ahead, grizzuring each other. Now, before I detail the program ahead, a short message to our Ripponly Strummel-wearing brethren. Yesterday was a shunder. Hashem would not be happy. Now, what a first lachaim we have for the year of 5782. Murray's guest is author Maya Lee with her new book, which is a mother's biography, an amazing Auschwitz story, The Nazis Knew My Name. Let me tell you, it promises to be a huge hit. You're tuned into L'Chaim, to life, part of the Jewish group here on 92.3 FM, 3 Z. Do not touch that dial. Maya Lee is a businesswoman, author, philanthropist and presenter. She's the owner and director of a large hospitality business and separately has been involved in the design, manufacture and distribution of a number of nutritional and cosmetic products. She co-authored her husband's autobiography of Surviving the Holocaust and is with us tonight as co-author with her late mother, Magda Hellinger, of the book The Nazis Knew My Name. Maya, welcome to Lachaim. Thank you. Your introduction of the book begins with a sentence, very few can understand what it was like to be a prisoner at Auschwitz-Birkenau, really only those who were there. The core of the book describes, in essentially your mother's words, what she went through during the Holocaust. Could you share her remarkable story with our listeners? Okay. My mother was... 25 years old, and she spoke German perfectly when she was rounded up from her small town in Michalovce in March 1942. When I say that it's an unusual story, no one can know the story, because my mother, over the period of time, had various prisoner functionary roles, and those roles became very important from a mother's point of view because she was able to use that position to try and help women as much as possible. During that time, while she was in Auschwitz, she had the mantra of everyone, please help each other, help yourselves. She had an incredible story of what makes it so incredible that she was there for three and a half years. And for the three and a half years, she was known as 2318, which is her tattooed number. But to many of the SS and the commanders, she was known as Magda or Halinja. 
When she arrived in Auschwitz in March 1942 with other 120 young Jewish women from her small town of Michalovce, they arrived in hell and they were totally, totally shocked, frightened and in a state that they couldn't comprehend where they have come in. Because my mother was involved with the Hashomer Atzai youth movement before the war, she had wonderful leadership qualities. And those leadership qualities became evident from the very beginning. She was also a kindergarten teacher, professional kindergarten teacher, and she was able to use those skills also to help to nurture and be there for those young girls, 16, 17-year-old girls, who were finding it very difficult to cope in this new environment. And while she was doing what she was doing, trying to help these young girls, she was recognized by one of the Steuben-Altester, which is a room leader, was watching how mum was looking after these young women. So she appointed her as a Steuben-Deist, which is a room helper. And this job entitled supervising the cleaning, food distribution, etc., etc. And throughout her period in Auschwitz, her skills were noted quite often, and particularly by the most notorious woman commandant of Auschwitz, Irma Grazer, who as a young 19-year-old just arrived in Auschwitz in early 42, and she was standing at the Brotkammer, which is a bakery where the bread had to be collected. Mum was there with 16 young girls collecting the bread, and mum was collecting and carrying as much bread as the other girls. And given that she was a student diced and would help her, probably that wasn't her role particularly. And there was this young woman standing there, a guard, and she was, saw mum, and she went to mum, and she says, uh, what is your name? Mum says, my name is Magda. And without thinking that she's speaking to an SS guard, mum said to her, and what is your name? And she says, Irma. I mean, this is how my mother met Irma Grazer who later, as I said, became the most notorious woman in Auschwitz, and she was executed after the war. And this particular encounter led to further encounters within the camp, where Irma Grazer showed a lot of respect to mum. Obviously, this was done very quietly, never in front of other guards, but this helped mum a lot to be able to use that connection, use the opportunity to help these young women. Just astonishing. I mean, it's a remarkable book and just an unbelievable story. Your mother didn't talk very much with you or your sister about her experiences during the Holocaust, and yet she felt compelled to record them through audio and video testimonies and in her detailed writing. How did this reliving of her experiences affect her and her relationship with her family? She really did not get us too involved with her story, and we never felt that she was carrying any trauma or any stress from Auschwitz, the war. She did tell us the odd story here and there. One particular story I remember, she told me how she was able to save about 100 women on their way to the gas chamber, but looking left to right, seeing no SS around for the moment, and going in amongst these women, making them turn around and go back to their barracks. So mum told me that story, and my dad actually uh, was able to verify that story because he heard about it through the camp grapevine. So I didn't hear much about it at all for that time. But what I do know that over the years, mum was constantly approached by academics, historians, journalists and writers wanting to know information and details ostensibly for their own research. But mum thought that they were going to be writing a book about herself. And when the books came out and articles came out, she actually saw that there's nothing about her at all. She might have got a footnote somewhere. So she was somewhat disappointed and she decided she's going to now do it herself. 
So apart from going to the various Holocaust Museum, Washington Holocaust Museum, Yad Vashem, she was there and she gave a testimony there. She gave a testimony here in Melbourne for the Jewish Holocaust Centre and also for the Shoah Foundation. And she did that over a period of years. And we were sort of not really aware of it either. She just went ahead and did it. But that's the way she was. She decided to do what she wanted to do and she did it. So that was fine, except that she was still not satisfied. She wanted to write it herself. So she started writing her story by hand, pages and pages and pages and notebooks full of her writings. And always she started again and add some more and redo it and then redo it and constantly redo it. Until at the age of 86, she finally had her transcribe all the handwritten notes. And just before her 87th birthday, she took it down to a printer in Hawthorne. She had it printed into a small book. And after that, she launched it with Wheatso, group she was involved with. The money went to the Wheatso Fund, and that was it. She was all over it. She had her story told. And we weren't even too much involved with that. Mm. At one point, I, I knew she was doing it, and I said, Mum, you can't just go and have it printed. Let me help you edit it. So she said, all right. She gave me the manuscript, and I sort of looked through it, and every day I'd ring her, and we'd talk about the next few lines. And after about 10 days, she says, Mayo, that's it. That's enough. That's <laughs> enough. Bring, give it back to me, and that's it. No more. And I, one word I got to, and this is rather funny, I said to her in the book, in her writings, Mum, why did you put the leather on the wall? She says, I didn't put leather on the wall. She said, I put the leather on the wall. I said, you didn't put the leather on the wall. Yes, I put the leather on the wall. I said, you mean ladder? She says, yes, I mean the ladder. So this is what I was trying to correct through the whole book, you know. So anyway, we managed to get that right. Otherwise, it wouldn't have made sense to have leather on the wall. And that's a story in itself, why she put the ladder on the wall. So after that, after she was 87, it was all forgotten, all over, and that's it. Now, moving fast forward. Sadly, she passed away in 2006. It was very, very sad. I came home after visiting her at a nursing home. And that was, she was, it was on the 28th of June. And I came home and I was feeling very sad. And I thought, I'll just put her name into Google. So I put her name into Google. I mean, as you do, doesn't everybody put their mother's name into Google? It was the most astonishing thing if I think about it myself now. And all of a sudden, there's all these Magda Blau, Magda Blau, Magda Blau. So I scrolled around to the very bottom, right below, even below the page I could see, and there I saw this incredible link. It says, Deborah Fisher mm-hmm. on Magda Blau, survivor I never met. Now, when I saw that, I was really goosebumped. I really got a shock. I looked at that number three times. I said, hey, that's my mother's number. Why is this woman wearing my mother's number? So I didn't do much about it. I left it alone. Sadly, my mother died the following day, and the meaning was in our house. So I asked my son to have a look at this website and see if he could find me Deborah Fisher. So through whatever he had to do, he found Deborah Fisher for me. And the next morning, early morning, because I couldn't sleep that night, I got to my computer, and there was a letter from Deborah Fisher. Hi, Maya. My name is Deborah Fisher. And she told me the whole story, why she did what she did, and that's also in the book. Mm. So that was an incredible encounter. In November of that year, my family went to Detroit for a family function, so I decided to go across to New York to meet Deborah Fisher, and together we met at the National Public Radio Studios to meet each other and to see the the tattoo, tattoo on her arm. And we kept contact for quite some time, and we still do, and that was an incredible experience. When I read that section towards the end of the book, I don't know, I just found it really difficult to come to terms with what she had done. Didn't know what to make of it. 
Well, funny you should say that because when it happened and I, I got her email and I showed it to my sister, to my cousins, to my friends, and they said, my God, Maya, this woman's nuts. Be careful. Don't get involved with this woman. She must mm. be mad. And I said, honestly, guys, I have a very good vibe just through the email that this woman is genuine and sincere. And I don't know why you're suspicious about what she's doing because I know it's unusual, but I believe that she did it with a, with a heart, with heart, with all the mm. right intention. And after the constant you know, conversation and communication, I did establish why she did it. Because her father was also a survivor yes. and he was Hungarian. And by the time he got to the camp, they were not tattooing anymore. And she wanted a way to commemorate and tell the story of a survivor. And she thought this would work well because people would ask, what is that number? And then she will say that this number is 2318, belongs to Magda Hellinger Blau, who, et cetera, et cetera, was a yeah. survivor yeah. and what mother did. Yeah. yeah, you the advantage, of course, of having met her and communicated with her many times. So Afterwards, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Maya, could you tell us about your involvement in bringing the book to the version we can read today? Okay, the, this journey began in 2014. I got a call from this gentleman from Perth to tell me that he had seen a documentary or my mother's testimonies online or somewhere, and what an incredible story of a woman and a survivor of the courage, the ingenuity, what she did to help the other prisoners and how she was managed within the camp, and it's incredible, incredible, and you must write a book about it. I said, well, as a matter of fact, my mother did write a book about it, and if you like, I'll send it to you. So I sent this little book to him. So that was it. I didn't think any more about that. In 2016, he calls me back and he says, Maya, I just read the book. And at the back of the book, your mother writes that she met Gisela Pearl in Tel Aviv. Gisela Pearl was a gynecologist with whom she was in Auschwitz. And together they helped and worked with the pregnant women to try and save them from experiments and from Engele and etc. The rest is in the book. And she said when she met her in Tel Aviv, Gisela, Dr. Pearl, wrote an article into the Hungarian language newspaper in Tel Aviv. And my mother said that this article is in the book as well. And he is telling me that this article is not in the book. In her haste to take this to the printer, my mother took the article with her. And I suddenly remembered which article it was. And I know that my mother had it translated into English. And she made copious, copious copies of the English translation. So I know it. And I now have it. So then I thought to myself, what can I do with this? I mean, I can't just pop it into this yellow book and have it printed. Mm. And this led me to this journey to do more and do more. And when uh, I took the, the mum's book to have it edited properly, and I thought maybe that's why I could put the article in, the editor tells me the book, the story is incredible. I mean, it's amazing. It has to be told, but there's really not much primary sources. So I thought, oh, I have primary sources because in the 90s, a cousin from America came to interview people of her own family to make a family tree. And when she went mum, she became very engrossed in her Holocaust story. And then she was thinking of making a play about women survivors of Auschwitz. And mum helped her, helped her with information, helped her with stories, helped her with giving her contact with other survivors who were still alive at the time. And here I had with the primary sources. Mm. So I had primary sources, I had the article, and then I had to find someone to do this for me. And David Brewster was the fellow I found, and together we got to where we've got with this book. The rights to the Nazis knew my name have been sold to a, a number of countries, including the US, United Kingdom, Poland, and the Netherlands. And is it true they've also been sold to China? 
Yes, just amazing. Just amazing. In Mexico, and they bought the, the rights for all the Spanish-speaking world. Wow. I mean, your mother's story of, of courage and compassion really must have a universal appeal for countries uh, so broadly across the globe to uh, be interested. Can I tell you some more countries? And <laughs> Hungary, and Hungary, and Czech Republic, wow. and Slovakia, and Romania, and Italy, and Finland, and Greece. Wow. Oh, every part of the story is it's just remarkable. Yeah, well, I'm glad you think so because I was I actually am always thinking that from a Jewish perspective, I'm, I'm actually wondering how it's going to be perceived. Oh, I don't know what the concern would be. I really I'm going to be concerned because, because after the war, many of these blockhouses faced accusations of collaboration, okay? So none of them spoke. None of them wanted to bring that up at all. Mum did not have any issue with that per se because she never thought and believed that she did anything wrong mm-hmm. other than try and help as much as she could. So she was not worried about talking about it. Yes. But maybe some will challenge that if they can. Yeah, I, I can understand that. Well, that's okay. I, I'm prepared for that. Well, amazing. Beyond amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and look, it's another story that needs to be told and it will impact on every person who reads it, I'm sure. Mayali, co-author of The Nazis Knew My Name, congratulations on what promises to be a publishing sensation. Thank you for joining us on Lechayim. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. Well, that's it for another Lechayim in the can, the first for the new year, 5782. I love Maury's interview with author Maya Lee with her mother's powerful story, The Nazis Knew My Name. The book promises to be a huge hit worldwide. And Team Lechaim would also like to congratulate our guest last week, Lieutenant Colonel Reserve Saritza Harvey, this week being acknowledged by the Jerusalem Post as the 45th most influential Jew for the woman explaining the Hezbollah threat to the world. So important. Sarit has been my guest many times in the past three years. We here at Lechaim will be supporting Sarit and Alma whenever necessary. In three days' time, it is 20 years since the 9-11 tragedy with the loss of so much life caused by the Islamic Jihad terrorists. Spare a moment's thought. Right, you'll find in about 15 minutes to half an hour a recording of tonight's Lachaim program at 3zzz.com.au. Click on the down arrow in the Listen to a Show square and scroll down to the Jewish group. You'll find it there. Links to YouTube recordings of tonight's interviews will be posted to the Lechaim and Morris Klein Facebook pages tomorrow. Please check out the other two programs that make up the Jewish group here at 3ZZZ. The Hebrew Hour, Shabbat Shalom, 3pm on Friday, and the Yiddish Hour, 11am on Sunday. If you'd like to contact us here at Lechaim, our email is lchaim3zzz at gmail.com. For only $16, please consider becoming a member of the Jewish group here at 3 Z. And for seniors, it's just $11. Again, click on 3zzz.com.au. Many thanks again to Team Lachaim, Dr. George Banky, the executive producer, Dr. Mori Frankel and Jeff Deegan. Call Midra next week, so no Lachaim. We'll be back a week later on the 22nd. We're closing out tonight's Lachaim, Two Life, Jewish Life and More, with a powerful clip from Justin Amler. Shana Metaka, everyone. Fast well. We'll be back in two weeks. My name is Morris Klein. I'm Yisrael Chai, and peace. As we're about to enter the year 5782 in the Hebrew calendar, I want to wish 
all people around the world a wonderful Shana and a very meaningful Yom Kippur. As I look around at this complicated world that can be really difficult, extremely hard, and so shattering, I really feel how absolutely lucky I am to be part of a people such as ours. And not, it's not because we're all perfect, far from it. We only need to look around the world at some of our own lunatics, as well as a great many charlatans who pretend to be Jewish, who open side with our enemies and advocate for our destruction. But despite all that, I stand here at the forefront of the history of our people, as proud as I've ever been, and ever will be. Because I'm part of a people with a story that defies history itself. I'm part of a people that do not give up and will never give up. I'm part of a people who will not let the world decide our fate anymore. I'm part of a people who will honour our history, our heritage, our culture, our nation, our religion, our country and our spirit. And what a spirit it is. It's a spirit that survived time itself and does not wane or grow weary with the years, but is constantly rejuvenated. We are people who are both old, with wisdom and experience, yet young with curiosity and wonder. And when I look at our history, of course I see the tragedy and I see the pain, so much of it, but also see the triumph and the joy. Because just being alive right now is a joy. Being in a world that continues to throw so much at us, how can I not feel that great spirit within us that keeps our heart beating and our soul soaring among the heavens? Abraham can look down on his people with a pride, knowing that our God has kept his promise. Moses can rest easy, knowing that the journey he led us on continues to this day. King David can sing his songs and play his harp in admiration of the nation he united. And every prophet and every prophetess can smile in satisfaction that the words did not disappear in the sands of time, but grew to live on in our hearts. Every Jew throughout our long history who faced darkness and misery and death can be smiling down at the world below, knowing that their lives are precious and worthy and important. Their voices did not vanish in the darkness, but can still be heard today. Their spirits did not disappear, and their memories did not fade away. They live on in all of us, and in every Jew who has ever walked the earth for that brief moment in time, we call life. We are people whose pride is so strong it can never be wiped away. We are people whose light is so bright it can be seen across an endless expanse of darkness. For darkness will never defeat us. Despair will never overwhelm us. Pain will never change us. And even death itself will not stop us. The Jewish spirit is strong and it burns inside our hearts with a passion and a heat that can be felt in the furthest regions of space. Within that flame of hope is the voices of our prophets, the love of our people, the strength of our belief and the pride of a nation. This is Jason Amner wishing everyone a Shana Tova, Umetuka, for life, Lechaim.